0: Welcome to Thigh for Life's podcast, where we talk about thyroid health and share experiences of living with thyroid-related challenges. If you're new to Thigh for Life, it is a mobile platform built for the 400 million people with thyroid conditions worldwide to effectively manage and optimize their health. Hello and welcome to Thigh for Life's podcast, episode nine. My name is Jillian McLean and I am your host. Today I am with Julia day Caneva, and um, we're going to be talking about thyroid cancer uh julia how are you today
1: i'm doing very well i'm
0: very glad to be here with you so awesome thank thank you so much for being a guest with us um before we get started in asking questions about um your thyroid cancer we just wanted to start off with what you like to do for fun
1: yeah well i like a lot of things for fun but i would say reading is a top top activity and also taking long walks around i live in a part of los angeles that's actually more residential than people might picture so Mm -hmm. go hunting around for flowers all year round (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. yeah um in canada here um we just we're just starting to get warmer weather in the spring it's in Mm -hmm. that little in between where we still have some snow but it's also kind of getting that brown color. So it's kind of nice to go out for a walk and feel the sun and not see snow all the time. Yeah. But it's kind of that in between where, you know, yesterday where I'm, I'm from Calgary, so the weather changes and yesterday it snowed a little bit in the evening, but the, the morning was about 15 degrees. So it's always that in between, but I love going on long walks during this time for sure. <laughs> and um, so for our first question we just wanted to uh, ask so tell us a little bit about your story when you got diagnosed and what kind of treatments you've had
1: yeah so i have papillary thyroid carcinoma and i was originally diagnosed at age 29 in 2018 Um, and i just had a recurrence which i like to kind of call a continuation because it it had never gone away anyway um, Mm -hmm. just this year Um, and had surgery in in February. And um, I find that when I was first diagnosed, I had a lot of hypothyroid symptoms and my TSH levels were really high. Um, But it's funny too, because if you look at a chart of symptoms for hyperthyroid versus hypo, I seem to have flip-flopped them. Like when I measured hypothyroid, I had a lot of hyperthyroid kind of symptoms and now that i'm on a suppression dose of levothyroxine i seem to ha- still have a lot of hypo symptoms so it's funny to see a chart and be like mm, just keeping them everybody guessing yeah <laughs> <laughs> always kind of an adventure and um just from a, like a technical standpoint i had a full thyroidectomy and they took my original tumor out in 2018, and then did a radio iodine treatment um, Mm -hmm. two months after, which uh, I have a lot of thoughts about. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And and then I had my surgery, this time was uh, for anyone else that's actually had them a left modified radical neck dissection, which really is just that they took all of the lymph nodes out from the left Mm -hmm. side of my neck, because we found a new growth. Um, So I've had a total of my entire thyroid and 23 lymph nodes removed and eight of those lymph nodes have had cancer growth in them in oh, wow. overachieving cancer cells yeah
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. and when you got your um, full thyroidectomy that was when you were uh, near when you first got diagnosed and then the neck dissection was just recently Exactly.
1: Yeah. So 2018, I was 29 and then I was still 33 when I had my surgery. I had my birthday between <laughs> then and now mm-hmm. this last February. But yeah, that was the original um, and and way back in April of 2018, I showed up at my primary care physician's office and said, Hey, my thyroid's swollen. That seems weird. I've never thought about my thyroid before, <laughs> mm-hmm. despite having, um, a family history of benign thyroid nodules I don't know why I didn't at that point think oh maybe I should pay more attention to my own thyroid but Mm -hmm. you know if you're in your 20s I think people just tell you "You, you're fine you don't have to worry about anything yeah
0: (laughs) the joke's on me I guess but maybe on them (laughs) yeah and so other than the swelling of your thyroid what were some of the symptoms that you had initially
1: Yeah, I mean, I kind of have a textbook, like, fatigue, a lot of brain fog, um, but I also arguably was working so much and so often that I barely paid attention to my body. So, Mm -hmm. at the time, it was, like, very new territory for me to even notice. I'm sure there were others. I had terrible IBS um, Mm -hmm. that I've since managed with my food, and... I which I thank cancer for that because I found a wonderful oncology nutritionist who helped me with that and no one else had ever been able to help mm-hmm. um so yeah I think the the most obvious one was the swelling of my thyroid and everything else feels a little bit like hard to parse out at this point
0: mhm and it's also pretty easy um with all aspects of life, it's easy to dismiss things because a lot of symptoms kind of can be something else, you know, like someone can just say like, oh, I just didn't get a good sleep last night or, oh, I worked a lot today or something, you know, so it's easy to dismiss it. And then um, something like swelling of the thyroid, sometimes it also can be dismissed as well. So it's good that you caught yeah. that one. But the fatigue, I find that that's one of the harder symptoms because it could be easily said to be something else as well. Um, and. So when you got diagnosed, you had your surgery. You had the, um, sorry, what was called the radioiodine. iodine? Yeah. Radio iodine. And um, you said that you didn't or you're not a big fan of the radio iodine?
1: No? Not so much. Yeah.
0: Um, I can appreciate that
1: it has worked for people in the past, um, mm-hmm. but I think it's notoriously not, effective, not as effective on um, lymph node growth. And, in my particular instance, I s- swallowed the radioactive pill at the hospital, drove home, isolated, thought that was going to be my only quarantine in my life. Mm-hmm. pandemic lockdown kind of messed that up um,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> and i was radioactive for five days, or however long the half life is, but in the end, it really only lowered my white blood cell count and didn't kill care. It didn't kill off any notable amount of thyroid tissue, mm, okay. so it was sort of just ineffective and gave me a lot of radiation exposure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, I wouldn't. I I I wouldn't just unilaterally tell everyone not to do it, but I would say take heed if that's one of your options. That it just know that it may not be super effective. Hmm.
0: Um, and wanting to just jump into some of the challenges that you faced throughout. Um, yeah, so what, what are some of the challenges that you faced and how did you overcome them? Yeah, I think one of the biggest things I've noticed is having thyroid
1: cancer meant that I only have an endocrinologist and I never got an oncologist because my endocrinologist manages all of my cancer care, but I I really loved my doctor. She was very supportive, gave me a lot of really helpful information. Like, um, but I never really got all of the oncology resources that other people with cancer get. Like Mm
0: -hmm.
1: when the radioiodine lowered my white blood cell count, I went to the hematologist in the oncology hematology office. And at that point they said, Oh, there's this cancer concierge and there's, social workers available, and this was almost a year, maybe eight months, 10 months after my surgery. So I was already kind of like through the thick of treatment and I was like, ah, all of this wouldn't, would have been really supportive Mm
0: -hmm.
1: 10 months ago. Um, And I think that's something that I really noticed is like, uh, you hear all the time being an advocate for yourself, but it Mm -hmm. is incredibly difficult to advocate for a process that you know nothing about, like you just don't know what you don't know. So I didn't even realize that I was missing all of these other resources um, and things like that. So I really feel like from a sort of like logistical support side, that's been the biggest challenge navigating, feeling like I fell through the cracks, but also feeling like I was really well supported in my life and that I maybe didn't need those, but kind of feeling empathy for other people who really did just kind of fall through the cracks and that it was sort of detrimental to their experience. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think on on another, like, less obvious, because clearly, like, getting a cancer diagnosis when you're 29 is a big challenge, but, like,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. peeling just below that is, I notice how much so many of my friends are older now because they are other people who've had their own sort of survivorship experiences, whether it's cancer or heart attack or other things. And I feel like the lessons that I've learned from cancer and mm-hmm. needing to manage my cancer and my thyroid levels and things like really separates me from a lot of my peer group. Mm -hmm. Um, like other people who are still just like in hustle mode at work and and things like that so I think that too is kind of an ever-evolving challenge for
0: young adult thyroid cancer Mm -hmm. so would you say that your relationships around you have dramatically changed since your diagnosis or it's just a different shift almost I think it's a different shift. I have a lot of friends
1: who were still super close, like that didn't change, but I have a lot of newer friends who uh, we relate on a really different level, and there's mm-hmm. certain topics that we always talk about that my friends from college that we don't necessarily dive into sort of, um, yeah, It's it's been kind of a gradual mm-hmm. change, but interesting to kind of look back on it and be like, oh. I mean, that makes, you know, relationships naturally change over time. But this definitely gave me like a fork in the road kind of vibe.
0: Mm-hmm. And also, I, I suppose as well, it's a, it's a different level of understanding from different people as well. You like, you know, like you said, you may be college friends that didn't go through something that it's only there's it seems to be there's only a certain extent where they can talk about things. And it's not a bad thing, I'm not dismissing that mm-hmm. at all. It's just just a different relationship and a different thing. But that's, um, it's also good uh, for a lot of people and it's different for everyone to um, connect with people who are in similar boats and connect stories so that you don't feel as alone and you can have those conversations. Um, so yeah, that's, that's interesting to hear. And then if you were to look back at when you got initially diagnosed and is there something that you wish that you knew other than you know um maybe going to see an oncologist rather than just the endocrinologist is there something that you wish or some kind of advice that you would give to somebody that is going through a similar situation or has went through a similar situation as you yeah i think uh
1: mentioning my thyroid being swollen, that was April of 2018. And I ultimately didn't get diagnosed until October of 2018, after I found a lump in my neck and Mm -hmm. was like, I should probably see an endocrinologist for that. Um, And that's not a commentary on my primary care physician at the time. Um, But when I went in there and said my thyroid's swollen, I got blood work done and I'm sure she did some kind of like manual exam to see if there's any growth, but with a swollen thyroid, you couldn't feel the tumor in my neck. Mm -hmm. So I think just like really trusting your gut instinct. I went in there being like, something's really wrong. And Mm -hmm. they were ostensibly sent me away saying, your hypothyroid, we'll check your levels again in a couple months. We'll get a couple data points. Your thyroid being swollen could be any number of things, because in fairness, it's a symptom of a lot of things. But mm-hmm. if we had, if I had maybe even considered that I would get an ultrasound at that point, it's very possible that we then would have found the tumor earlier than we did. And not to say that would have changed any of the outcome, but I think I have... Um, that feels very much like a patient advocacy moment of like follow your gut instinct. Mm -hmm. It's almost definitely not wrong. And the worst case scenario is you have like one extra test and you have more information. That would be my biggest, like, yeah, just exhaust all the options while you can. And Mm -hmm. don't think that it isn't cancer necessarily. I mean, like definitely I don't recommend like a big spiral of hypochondria, but also like it's not out of the question that you could be 29 and active and working and still get cancer. So
0: I think in, in some ways, for some people, it's it's I could see it, you know. Even though the cliche of saying, you know, expect it, unexpected type thing, sometimes it's still like, you know, you don't expect it, even though you know you should look for it or you know you should expect that but then that being said as well it's also important to check it just in case but also not like obsess over the idea of something so it's really hard to find that balance between those two you know to expect something but also not completely like hyper fixate that oh my gosh this is what's going to happen type thing um Mm -hmm. but it's it's interesting as well because i know with the whole medical world and patients, um, it's not dismissing medical professionals at all, but um, I know for myself, for example, when I'm, I'm, I don't know much about um, the medical field or anything and when I'm going to the doctor and I'm like, oh my gosh, something's happened, I do think of the worst possible outcome because, you know, my genetics, my family history, hearing stuff and I'm just like, what if that's the case? But like you said, a lot of the times those gut feelings do, you know, they do have that, they have something behind it and when you look at it in some perspective um, like you said it the worst case scenario is that you're going to i mean the like if you don't have any result from it at least you got that test and a lot of times going through something like that that uncertainty when you know you can maybe just check something right now is sometimes harder to live with than the actual thing itself almost do you agree with that or Totally. I, I'm very
1: much like the more information you can get, the better, especially with cancer. The sooner, the more you keep tabs on it, the better. The sooner you know about it, the better. So you may as well find out about it. Because if you do have cancer and you don't get the test, you still have cancer. You just didn't know about it yet. So like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm like, Go get the extra test if it feels like and you know, there's a difference between the anxiety brain making up stories and the like
0: really like, yeah, no, something's
1: really wrong kind mm-hmm. of
0: vibe. Yeah, of course. And going back, so they initially thought it was just hypothyroidism for you, and you mm-hmm. so you thought you kind of knew there was something a little bit more. What what made you really think yeah. that?
1: What was the... I just had this sense of, like, why would my thyroid be so swollen? Like, why would I be feeling this poorly? And sure, if I'm hypothyroid, that accounts for it. But I still just had this, like, low level of, like, okay, well, we'll see. But I don't know. It just feels like something else. And at that point, I wasn't thinking, oh, I might have cancer. but. I got really sick in July following my mother-in-law's memorial service and was like, had really swollen glands everywhere. And I was like, Oh, maybe, well, I feel awful cause I'm grieving, but also I feel awful in general. And that's when I was massaging my neck and found a big lump in my neck and I was like, okay, well that definitely counts as something that, uh, you know, is very out of the ordinary. And I think, I had never had a swollen thyroid before. For me, that was the symptom that was like, "This is really weird." I feel mm-hmm. like everyone has one symptom, or maybe several, but at least one that feels like that doesn't feel familiar to me, and mm-hmm. that feels like the the kicker. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. And now, um, post surgery and everything, what are do you st- what are some symptoms that you still have that are kind of linger on, or stuff that you need, and how are you managing them right now?
1: Yeah, so they, my doctors have me on a suppression dose of levothyroxine, so in theory I should experience a lot of hyperthyroid symptoms, mm-hmm. um, although I, like I said in the beginning, I think, end up with a lot of hypothyroid symptoms still, like um, a lot of brain fog that le- loves to linger. Um Definitely, I have trouble regulating my body temperature. Usually, I'm freezing. Sometimes, I get really hot. Um, I think kind of still a lot of my, like, poster child thyroid symptom Mm -hmm. uh, kind of vibe. So, it's definitely alleviated um, the, like, really dragging fatigue. Like I can I love to go on long walks and get up and I do love to nap in the middle of the day if I can. But generally speaking, my energy is much, much, much better than pre-surgeries and things. Um Yeah, but still a lot of and I find that my love of hyroxine dose has gone on a roller coaster of different dosages and Something that I would love to throw out to the world that my doctors didn't think was an issue at the time, I I was taking hormonal birth control for many, many years, and I decided to go off of it because I was on such a high dose of levothyroxine, and they were like, that's weird, we don't know why, and once I went off of the hormonal birth control, Mm -hmm. my levothyroxine dose dropped dramatically down to the level that they quote thought I probably should be at. And they're like, Oh, it must've been the birth control. And I was like, wait, we've been doing this for like three years already. That, that could have been anyway. So that I would love to throw out to the world of like, Mm -hmm. if that is you consider the hormone um, kind of interplay and um, it very well may make a huge difference just to have one synthetic, th- that synthetic hormone replacement and not two. Mm-hmm. If you, of course, please do what you need to do for your own body. I didn't mean to like shame people for anything else.
0: No, no, no. <laughs> if you
1: have much choice
0: in the matter, consider your options, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, one of, the, I remember you were saying something about how um, your diet has kind of changed since your cancer diagnosis. If I'm correct. Yeah. Um, So could you tell me a little bit about that or how has that helped you? Mm -hmm. And um, so.
1: Yeah. Immensely. I never knew what it felt like to be well, as it turns out. Uh, And my oncology naturopath and oncology nutritionist together both um, agreed that I should try autoimmune paleo. Um, which I think a lot of people use for Hashimoto's as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And I did a really intense version of the elimination and did instead of like two weeks of the most restrictive did like three to six months before I added things back in. And then when I added stuff back in, I realized that I couldn't add any of it (laughs) and feel well. So I've just been doing the most strict version of autoimmune paleo and it literally has changed my life. And I think, definitely I attribute that to so much of the thyroid symptoms that were so brutal before my food has everything to do with that. Mm -hmm. And if I eat things that I sort of shouldn't be eating, like a lot of white rice, if I go out to eat kind of thing, I can feel it. Like I really do feel it. And, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I have embraced my myriad autoimmunities, um, And it's really difficult and it's really, really worth it. So Mm -hmm. yeah, it's been it's been a journey. (laughs)
0: Mm -hmm. And so um other so you do the diet has helped you and then Mm -hmm. some of your symptoms have gone away as well, um, or have been managed. And um other the so I know with with your physical health and your mental health with everything, it can be coming overwhelming, stressful, and also everything else. How do you balance the two? How do you balance your mental and your physical health together?
1: Mm-hmm. They're so interconnected. I do really find that when my gut health is in order, my mental health feels much more stable. It's like a light switch almost. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, do, I started seeing a therapist right before my original diagnosis, and I've been in therapy ever since, including with a uh, young adult cancer specific therapist who was really wonderful and really supportive um i do a lot of meditation that was something it was a practice that i found kind of accidentally through cancer that i really my first diagnosis when i stopped i stopped working for a month around my surgery for the first surgery Mm -hmm. and i was like oh everything time feels longer the birds are tripping the sun feels lovely and i was like oh this is actually what people call mindfulness and equanimity, but didn't have language for that. So I've been exploring the fact that that was like my lived experience. And I like I meditate every morning because it's supportive to me. My nervous system really likes it. Um, yeah. And I think also moving my body makes such a big difference. It's fine if it's just walks. It's fine if it's really gentle yoga. It's fine if it's like Qigong. It doesn't need... To preferably not high intensity, I realize mm-hmm. that's really hard on my system. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I think all of those things. There's like a lightness that comes with accepting things, I guess. To mm-hmm. um, which has been a gift. So, like, not trying to fight against the fact that this is my reality and I have to do a lot of things in order to keep myself feeling well. And
0: if I can embrace that, then I'm, I'm smooth, smoother sailing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I guess it's also kind of, you know, working out that inner conflict with everything that's going through. It's different for everybody, but that the mm-hmm. journey is different for others. But it's also we've talked about in previous episodes that there seems to be sometimes with social media or Google or anything and every people around you. There's always almost like you set this expectation of where you're supposed to be and who you're supposed to be. And it's hard to navigate through that and to actually accept that this is not exactly what I pictured out to be, but it doesn't have to be the end of the world. And it doesn't have to be such a terrible thought that like, oh my gosh, I'm not this person that I really wanted to be, but this happened. It's, it's hard to go through that, but for everybody it's different. And, um, some of the, like, you know, I'm also a big advocate for taking those time and, you know, doing yoga or doing something, meditating or whatever someone needs to, or, Um, something that will help them it's an it's important to do so to just give those kind of position yourself away from what you're going through and away from the cancer and just be you you know what i mean so it's it's um and that being said as well other than like meditation was there something like either a support system or you know reaching out to the community um a favorite book or something maybe not even cancer related that truly helped you like once specific thing that you thought was kind of like um a necessity throughout your journey that helped you um get out of that cancer space and more into who you are kind of thing if that makes sense Mm -hmm. yeah
1: i have my answer is the one that people don't want to hear which is that i have done a lot of work to embrace my mortality Mm -hmm. and one of my favorite books is called the five invitations by frank And it's Mm -hmm. about the five regrets of the dying. He founded the Zen Hospice Center and he compiled all of these wonderful, basically advice for people who aren't actively dying from the people who are actively dying. And Mm -hmm. it's a really lovely invitation just to not take everything so seriously. Um, And I think it gives me very much like you were just saying this, I can really see uncertainty as an opportunity for something even better and more than Mm -hmm. I thought it was going to be rather than a huge loss of something of what was, and it's important to take time to grieve. And like, what about this whole amazing world that you maybe didn't know about before? So yeah, Mm -hmm. that's been, I think all of that feels very interconnected. And at the core of it is really examining my mortality and, Mm -hmm. and letting that have space
0: and uh, that's really interesting that you say that because it's there i also think that there come there can be a lot of wisdom and knowledge that you can get for looking at that because it can be so scary but also learning more about stuff and who you are kind of like it almost for some people obviously it's gonna be different but it almost like lets you live in the present a little bit more and like lets you be able to um Kind of take what you've had in your life and use something towards it and think, okay, you know, this life ed dig diagnosis can just be, you know, something a little bit more that I can make it to be type thing. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I also um, it's interesting for everybody who is listening as well. There's I think overall the message is, you know, In my personal opinion, it's it's going back to that expectation and finding that balance. Sometimes it's it's great to connect with people, but also to just know yourself and advocate for yourself in some way. And in terms of how you're going to balance things, in my personal opinion. And, you know, like you might see your friend, oh, well, she accepted this, she's doing well and they would be going through something similar. But that's totally okay if you're not there yet and it's totally okay to um, work through that. And that being said do stuff for yourself, learn about things so that you're not trapped in that mindset because it's so easy to be trapped in that one spot and not get through something and it's it's hard to take that initial step. So yeah, and um, totally. Mhm. Mm-hmm. And um so now going forward is there like when you're when you look at back when you were diagnosed um and what you are now talking a little bit about fear and everything do you still have fear to this day or have you been able to like kind of work it and um overlook it and not really because i know for some people fear has been something that is hard to overcome and it can take over people's lives and you always have that fear of coming back or always doing that so how do you you know push that fear aside and just live with your life and be like yes Things could happen, but also, you know, you can't focus on it so much. How do you manage that?
1: Yeah, I think it's really been helpful for me to understand that I won't ever be without fear, but that it also just is there to keep me safe. It's a mechanism, it's a survival mechanism. So, um, you know, in the mindfulness meditation world, we have a practice where you sort of invite an emotion or a feeling to sit with you on a proverbial bench that Mm -hmm. it can have space and walk with you, but that it doesn't need to be the thing that leads you or you feel like you're being pulled by it. So I think it's really important to acknowledge when things make you feel fearful. And it's okay to like keep doing things anyway. There's a lot of danger in life being mortal is inherently there's a lot of fear in that um mm-hmm. and you can still center joy and ease and happiness and fun and play without ignoring the fear because if you try to stuff it down then i think it takes over everything mm-hmm. so if you kind of invite it to walk with you that maybe that sounds like the stupidest thing that's totally cool but for me that's a, one way that i like to think about it and um I think that's really helpful i i feel like i don't get a lot of scan anxiety that a lot of other people with cancer get totally cool if you do that's you you do you i just find that the scan is simply telling me things as they are um mm-hmm. what else can you do
0: Mhm. Yeah. yeah it's it's interesting because a lot of people i know again going back to that expectation they'll think mm-hmm. you know you shouldn't be afraid or you shouldn't worry, or don't worry, it's fine, but it's like you know you're going to worry, and that's okay, and I think there's yeah. always that people think well like oh yeah, like I still have this fear, I'm obviously like you know something's wrong or something's like that, and it's 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 easy to just go through and think that, and you know again, everything works, but I Think of it similarly as well i saw this um someone told me this a little analogy about that stuff kind of like thinking of it as like a, a car and you're driving the car and you might have those like unwanted passengers like let that be fear or anxiety or something but at the end of the day you're still controlling that car and you're able to drive it yourself so mm-hmm. um that might sound cliche to some people but in some ways it might be a little bit better to p- paint that picture and see that so that's really interesting um and yeah um that is all the questions that i have for you do you have anything else that you want to talk about or mention
1: that's a great question i
0: think just
1: really coming back to the just listen to yourself learn to listen to yourself like you're probably right learn when you need to rest learn when you need to move Uh, and it's really a messy process because there's no set template that you just get to follow and that works for you um but Mm -hmm. like have some fun with it and really it might feel like a big burden and it's really worth it so like keep keep on keeping on there's a lot of us out there doing a lot of things to keep ourselves
0: well and we're all we're all with you Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. it's one of the biggest things is it's easy to you know talking with everyone, everyone has a different story, a different journey, but it all comes back to a similar feeling of feeling lonely or not knowing what to do or that fear or the anxiety. So I think it's really important for people to come together and join each other and connect in that sense, because again, different journey, but similar feelings. And um, we can you don't have to work through it alone, but if you want to, that's OK, but mm-hmm. um, you don't have to. That's the biggest part. So um, I want to thank you again, Julie, for coming on our podcast for the thigh for life, um, it's been a pleasure talking to you, talking about all of your symptoms and uh, the the journey throughout and what's helped you. Um, talking about this and for people listening, it helps people to you know see a brighter side of things and be able to figure out stuff that works for them. So I do really appreciate you um, being our guest. And that being said, um, is there anything else you want to say, or is that?
1: No, just thank you so much for being here. This is such a wonderful space. And uh, I really look forward to listening to all of everyone else's episodes. (laughs)
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And then for people who are listening, um, vi for life is an app where you can track your um, thyroid medications, blood work and see correlations on graphs and connect with the community anonymously. Um, so if you if you haven't already download the app, join and check out all of the features that we have. You can talk to and ask questions to people anonymously that's one of my favorite parts of the app is that you can go on the community side of it, ask questions, connect with people, and also track stuff and, and that might help you showing your doctors your blood stuff, and be able to track your health better and um again thank you everybody for listening thank you julia and we will see you next time on the Five for life uh, podcast thank you so much